Thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight for our Wednesday night study. Uh, we are in the book of Colossians. Hope you have been benefiting from these studies. Uh, I know I have enjoyed doing the preparation for them, and we've had a good time each week as we've uh, worked our way through these scriptures. Tonight we're in Colossians chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 16, and we'll work our way all the way to verse 23 tonight. So if you have not uh, been with us the previous three weeks that we've been in the book of Colossians, go back. And watch those studies because this really does, Colossians really does build upon uh, sort of each, each section builds upon the next as Paul is establishing um, uh, his, his core message. Let me just allude to that very quickly. The circumstance in the church at Colossa is that false teachers have arrived and they are preaching a heretical uh, series of teachings we don't have a record of those. In other words, we don't have a copy of what they were teaching, but we can make some assumptions about them because of Paul's response. We believe that the primary uh, thing that Paul was, um, was coming against was a, uh, a teaching that came from the Gnostics that led to the belief system that we, we would call Gnosticism. And uh, the primary tenet of that that Paul is coming up against with, coming up against is... Uh, a reduction in the position of Jesus, that he is not God, that he wasn't deity, that he was uh, something less than that. And uh, because of that, then salvation wasn't based on faith in Jesus, but it was based on something that we're going to see in this section tonight. First, uh, the first three weeks that we're in this was really Paul establishing a uh, sort of a foundation. And really tonight, he gets to the meat of, uh, or at least the first of the meat, of uh, what it is that this false belief is, uh, is trying to teach the people. So let's begin. We'll read uh, all of these verses, we'll pray, and then we'll jump right in on verse, verse 16. Here we go. Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." Heavenly Father, thank you as we do each week. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it does in each of us. I thank you for its challenge. I thank you for the clarity that it brings to our life. Uh, and Lord, I ask tonight that you would let each person that watches any portion of this be captivated by your word. Not by me, but by your word. By the principles of the kingdom of God. And that a great uh, dedication to your word, to your kingdom, to you, Jesus, would arise because of uh, the truth that the word brings to our minds and then it is translated into our hearts and our souls and it just gets lived in, Father. So do that tonight. 
Draw us to you through your word. Let your word be alive. Let it be powerful. Uh, Just create in us hunger for more of it. Because as we learn more of it, we'll learn more about you and we'll draw closer to you and be uh, uh, just more as you have called us to be. We thank you. We love you. Touch each one tonight. Encourage and strengthen in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, once again, thank you so much for being here with our, for our Wednesday night study. If you haven't done so already, do something for me. Go down on the bottom, hit the share button. That share button will share it all the way across your social media platform. And uh, you never know who might be watching and what that might do for them. So let's begin in verse 16. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. We begin like we did last week with the word therefore. Paul says, therefore... Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. That word, therefore, you know, links us back to the preceding verse and the point being that Christian living should only be centered on Christ and not the keeping of external man-made laws. Um, Paul says, let no one judge you. It is uh, speaking of people who judge others in comparison to the Old Testament law concerning diet and special holidays. Now, Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. I, I suggest that most of you are probably aware of some of the Old Testament regulations in the law, the law of Moses. But in case you're not, let me real quickly just give you an overview for any that might be watching that uh, aren't familiar with those things. Uh, the law uh, was uh, God's word to mankind to identify what was sin. Now, what man did with it is they began to, over the course of hundreds of years, they began to take that law and they began to move away from a connection to God and begin to sort of emphasize the external requirements of the law as a means by which people might be right with God. Do this, do this, don't do this, don't go there, don't be this, and God will be pleased and he will bless you. Um, That's not at all what the New Testament scriptures and the covenant that we have uh, through Christ Jesus, that's not what it's about. It is about relationship. It's about knowing him. And so in the Old Testament law, uh, it had been reduced to a series of, uh, well, uh, do's and don'ts. That's the easiest way. Do's and don'ts. Easiest way I can say it. And what Paul is saying, and it would seem that there has come among the church at Colossae a set of teachers, and they are reporting that these are the paths to relationship with God, and that Jesus isn't uh, the way to God. That through Christ's death, that's not the way that you appropriate eternal life or righteousness. And so Paul is saying, listen, don't let those who would judge you based on the Old Testament, based upon man-made interpretations of the Old Testament even, don't let them pass judgment on you in questions of, and then here are some of the categories that the Old Testament law uh, gave prohibitions and gave guidance in. What you ate, what you drank, and different days, festival days, uh, and um, special special holidays and Sabbath days, that those things all are intended, and we're going to see this in the next verse, they are intended to point us towards something, not be the end in themselves. Let me say that again. All of those things, the, the dietary law the, of food and drink, 
the, the celebration of certain festivals among the Jewish people, all of that was intended to remind people of what God had done and the salvation that God had brought and point them towards the coming Jewish Messiah. What they had done with it is they had taken all of those things and they had made them, rather than those being signposts pointing towards a righteousness, they, they took those and they made them the steps to become righteous. And if you do these things, you'll be righteous. If you don't do them, then, then, you're, then you're not God's people. And Paul is saying, don't let anyone judge you, pass judgment on you in regards to those things. He says in verse 17, these are a shadow of things to come. Now, that's what I just mentioned. These are a shadow. Um, some would say a foreshadowing that when you see, watch this, when you see, uh, if you know anything about the Old Testament law, and if you don't, there is a, there's a, a process by which the sins of the people got pushed back, a penalty for the sins. Uh, they would bring animals, particularly kinds of animals, what were called clean animals, not unclean. Uh, a sheep was a clean animal. Um, and they would bring a lamb and they would sacrifice that lamb and it would pay the penalty for the, it would push back the penalty for sins. The high priest once a year would make sacrifice for the sins of all the people and the penalty for their sins would get pushed back. It was a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb. There were regulations on that lamb. Well, all of that was a foreshadowing of a better sacrifice, another lamb-esque, a, 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 a sacrifice that would take the place of that lamb, a perfect sacrifice in whom and in whose life was enough value, enough sinlessness to not just push back the penalty for sin, but to remove it. We know that Jesus, the scripture even says when John the Baptist sees Jesus walking towards him, he says, John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's who Jesus was. He died so that our sins and the penalty for our sins might be removed. And so when Paul writes that all of those dietary laws and those festivals and those Sabbath days, that was all a shadow of things that were to come. When the Old Testament law was given, the New Testament hadn't yet arrived, Jesus in physical form, the incarnation hadn't occurred, and all of those were just a shadow, a foreshadowing of what would be there. Paul is saying, but we now live in the time where that which was shadowed towards has now come. We don't live in the shadow anymore. We live with the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. We live on the other side of that covenant. You had the Mosaic company, uh, covenant. We now have the covenant afforded to us by Jesus, a better high priest, a better covenant, the writer of the Hebrew says, that now gives us the right to be sons and daughters of God. He says, these are a shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. I think you understand what that means now. That making all of those shadow things have substance, be real, living in them. It's gotten here. All of that occurred in Christ. Once again, remember, Paul is undoing the false teaching. He is saying, listen, there's not another way. You can't be righteous by all of these rules and regulations. There's just one way, and that's through Christ. He's the substance of what was foreshadowed in all of those dietary restrictions and the sacrifices and the Sabbath and the new moons and the, all of that was just a foreshadowing of what Christ Jesus is. He's the substance of all of that. 
verses 18 and 19. Let's put these together. We'll move quickly through this tonight. He says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. Interesting, verse 18, um, number of places, if you go and study it, you'll find a number of places that speak about Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. It is certainly the most debated verse in the book of Colossians and one of the most debated verses in all of the New Testament. Let me, tell you, let me show you why. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. The, uh, the, the word, the verb that is translated here, uh, disqualify, has a, a unique, um, I think I would call it a judicial meaning, that Paul says, don't let anyone disqualify you. I think the way to think about that word is, don't let anyone condemn you in a judicial sense. Don't let anyone convince you that you are, instead of being forgiven, you are now condemned. That because you aren't following in the way of this Old Testament law, because you're not keeping the festivals, because you're not eating the right things or drinking the right things, because you're not keeping the Sabbath in the way the Old Testament uh, people did, you are now condemned in a judicial sense. You've been judged guilty. Paul says that's not true. Um, the false teachers are asserting that anyone who does not follow them is disqualified from truly experiencing Christ's presence. The, uh, the question in here, the one that brings a lot of question, is the, the two things here, and different topics, but two powerful uh, ideas. The first one is the departure by Paul from asceticism. Asceticism, uh, living... Um, uh, on the far end, uh, physically hurting yourself in order to prove your suffering, making yourself suffer for Christ. Asceticism on the other end would be living, a, a, a living an impoverished life so that you can give everything for Christ as a demonstration of the sincerity of your faith. Living an ascetic life. Um, I don't know that this is... A, 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 this is not... This is not license for lasciviousness. That's an Old Testament, or that's a New Testament, but an old word, lasciviousness. It's a King James word. Uh, a lascivious lifestyle. Buy anything you want, do anything you want, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Um, party till you drop. <laughs> that's lascivious. Um, this isn't license for that. Lasciviousness would be perhaps the opposite of asceticism, but Paul is not saying that that's how we should live. He's not saying that don't, don't let anybody disqualify you, disqualify you because you don't live an ascetic lifestyle. It's not licensed to go the other way. What he's saying is that, and let me, let me take liberties and put words in Paul's mouth, see if I can display the context here. Um, you, can, you can live an outwardly poor, you can impose upon yourself poverty. You can walk around in rough clothing so that it's not comfortable. You can, 
you know, there's, there's several different uh, um, historical church events. One of them is where people crawl up the steps of one of the Catholic churches, uh, and I think it's in Latin America, with um, broken glass and stuff. They make themselves, they suffer as they climb because it cuts them and they bleed, and that that's a sign of attrition and genuine faith. And Paul is saying, listen, that's, that's not what makes you saved. That's not what makes you be in right relationship with the Lord. There is something deeper than that. Now, that is not licensed to go the other way. Paul is saying you're not saved by that, but that doesn't mean we should live in these uh, life, lifestyles that, are, that have no regard for the kind of life that we live. He goes on and he talks about worship of angels. So uh, perhaps um, lots of debate here about what that is. Um, insisting that you, that, that, you, that you direct attention to something other than Jesus. That's as far as I'll go with my understanding. Uh, Paul is saying, look, there's just one focus for our worship, and that's Christ Jesus. Going on about details about visions, uh, it would seem that perhaps in the, in the teaching of these false teachers that they are exalting particular angels, and they're using the excuse that it was in a vision given to them by God that has instructed them to instruct the people, worship this angel, lift up your prayers to this angel, perhaps. Uh, and they are claiming a heavenly vision as the source of, uh, of their teaching. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Once again, we believe a particular indictment against a particular false teacher. We don't know exactly what it was, but that's why verse 18 is greatly debated as to all that Paul is saying there. Verse 19 says, and not holding fast to the head. We know what that means. Paul is saying, look, there's just one path to God. That's Christ Jesus. He's the head. Hold fast to him. And then Paul uses this metaphor as the head. Literally, he translates it into a metaphor of the body. Hold fast to the head, which is Jesus, from whom the whole body. Listen, even though there are different parts, there are different teachers, there are different people, all of us have to be connected to the head. For whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Paul's using metaphorical language here to say, listen, you cannot depart from the head. Who's the head? Christ Jesus. You've got to stay connected to him. So many things in our world today probably wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be hard to spot if they were telling you to worship angels. But listen, lots of things in our world today that are being pushed upon people to substitute for the lordship of Christ in their life. And like Paul, I would say, stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected to the one who saved you. Stay connected to the identified son of God. Stay connected to the Messiah. Stay connected. Don't, don't, don't go off the tracks. Stay, and, and if you miss the other, other lessons, he said in other chapters, listen, it is Jesus that is the source of our salvation. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We studied that last week. Don't depart from the one who gives you the hope. Don't depart from the one who made a way that you might participate in the glory of God. He's the head. Don't fall prey to this false teaching. Um, it is dangerous. It is destructive. And it's, 
It's not just in Paul's day, it's in our day. How do you do that? Let me, let me digress for a moment and talk about some practice. I do it each week. How do you do that? How do you stay connected to the head? Well, take in sources of inspiration that consistently affirm the lordship of Christ. The best one I know of is his word. Fellowship through the Holy Spirit with the fathers. Fellowship through the Holy Spirit with Jesus. Fellowship with the, with, with, with the word of God made alive in us and allow the lordship of Jesus to grow your, your, your sense of his uh, just his sacrifice and what he did for you. Let that grow in you. Let it consume you. It's all right to feel like you owe Jesus a debt, not in a condemning way, but, but be thankful for what he did for you and express that thanksgiving. Stay connected to the head, Paul said. Don't, don't allow false teaching of any kind. And our world is filled with it. And it doesn't all look like somebody coming in and preaching religious things. Um, you know, you don't, you don't need to be involved in the work of the ministry because, you know, your, your job is very important. You need to work 60, 70, 80 hours. That, that's, a, that's, that's a great way to get disconnected from the head. Listen, you, you, need to, you need to make as much money as you can, and, and that needs to be the thing that you concentrate on most. That's a great philosophy to remove you from being connected to Jesus. You know, you've been hurt. Church hurts you. Don't ever go back again. That's a great ploy of the enemy to keep you from being connected to the head which who is Christ Jesus don't fall prey to those there are false teachers in our world as well so don't let them deceive you verse 20 if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations we'll talk about the regulations in a moment Come on, Paul says, listen, you were made alive in Jesus and you died to the philosophies, to the teachings, to the ways of reasoning of this world. You died to those. You, you know that you were made alive by faith in Jesus. You know that you were made a part of the kingdom of God through what Jesus did. These false teachers are reporting that that's not the way to God. Rather, it's through the keeping of the ceremonial law and the, and the different aspects of that law that you've got to be engaged in. That that's what makes you right with God. And Paul says, listen, you died with Christ to those elemental spirits or even elemental teachings of the world. Why do you act like you are still alive in the world the, the sort of the rhetorical question, the completion of that is, when you died in Christ, why are you listening? And my goodness, I could preach on this. Why are you listening to what the world says you should listen to? Why are you judging your life by the world's standards? Why are you allowing this world and this society to push in and tell you how to raise your children and how to be married and how to spend your money? Listen, all of that died in you when you gave your heart to Jesus. You're now alive in Christ. Don't sell out to the things of the world again. That's what he's saying. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And then he goes back into those, and we've already seen these before. What were the regulations? Don't handle certain things. Don't taste certain things. Don't touch certain things. Paul says, you're allowing yourself to be enslaved again to the belief. Now listen. Watch this. 
Is it possible to love Jesus with all your heart and not eat pork? Let's do something that the, let me add, if you want to, if I love Jesus with all my heart and I'm submitted to him, but I want to, I want to put on top of that not eating pork, is that going to hurt me, pastor? No. If you keep that first part right, there are those that believe strongly in keeping the Sabbath, but that's not what they believe makes them saved. They believe that their love for Jesus, their devotion to him. There are those that would give beyond a tithe. Is that because they're trying to buy their way into heaven? No, they have sought first the kingdom of God. They have set their affections on Jesus. They have made him the center of their life, and he's the thing that has constrained them. And then they say, you know what, I'm going I'm to live on 10% and give the Lord 90. As long as you keep Jesus as the head, and he's the source. Give whatever you want. Eat whatever you want. Wear. If you want to wear sackcloth and ashes, if you want to put your hair up in a bun and wear long sleeves, and, and if, whatever. If you, want to, if you want to, as long as it's not sin, and as long as it keeps Jesus centered, it's all right to do those things. But what Paul is saying is that they have pushed Jesus aside And they're believing in those things to make them right with God. And Paul says, that's destruction. So don't do that. You can go both ways. Let me say that for a minute. You can go both ways with this. You can let the pendulum swing to where you do whatever you want. Because it's only in the, you know, I've I've gone to church. I've paid my tithe. I've done, and now I'm going to do what I want because I gave God his part. I've sort of checked the boxes. That's one pendulum swing. The other pendulum swing is, I don't do anything because I'm, I'm, I'm all holy. I'm, I'm going to wear only this and I'm going to eat only this and I'm going to go only here. And that's the other pendulum swing. What, what has to be in the middle, in the center of your life is submission to the Lordship of Christ. I, I tend to believe that if you are genuinely submitted to the Lordship of Christ and you get into the word you're not going to be on either of those extremes. You're going to find yourself centric to submission to his lordship and following his word and knowing his word. And then life becomes so much better. It's not all rules and regulations, but it's, a, it's also not just this do anything you want. It's this place where Jesus is Lord and I do what I do because of who he is. It's not about not handling things or not tasting things or not touching things. Paul says, according to human precepts and teachings. That's where those things come from. Why do we do that? Why do humans do that? I think it's, and this is my opinion, but I think ultimately it's about control. I want to be able to know. I want you to make me a list. I don't want there to be any, I don't want there to be any surprises. I'm a bottom line guy. I'm a contract I'll do this, 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 and this. And then, Lord, you have to do this, 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 and this. Because I've done these. But, guys, that's, that's not biblical Christianity. I'm, I'm submitted in all that I am to Jesus. That's what he calls us to. We are to be submitted in all that we are. I'm not, I'm not saying that I am submitted. I'm saying that that needs to be your profession. I give the Lord all that I am. And then there may be, watch this, he may call me not to go some places. 
not to say some things. He may constrain me in which job I apply for and how I, why? Because I'm submitted completely to him. It is that submission. It's that acknowledgement. It's that acceptance of his lordship that makes me right with God, not the things that I do. It's a little bit like the horse and the cart. Jesus has got to come first, but he's going to call you to some things. And if you're submitted to his lordship, it's going to constrain your life. It just is. But not in a legalistic way. I'm not doing that to be saved. I'm doing that because I love him. And it brings joy. If you do it in a legalistic way, it takes all the joy out of you. drains the life right out. Eventually, you won't want to do it. You'll make everybody miserable around you when you try. Because you'll start expecting them to be as good as you are. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. According to human precepts and teachings. Let me give you one more verse. We'll be a little quick tonight. Wrap this up. Verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Doing those things. Don't handle things. Don't taste things. Don't touch things. Paul says those look like wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now watch that. Paul says that stopping the indulgence of the flesh has value. And he says, and these things can't help you. Do you know why? Strange as it is, as backward as it might sound, I think they are fleshly. I think doing those things feeds a fleshly desire. It's just very sublime. What is that desire? I look holy. I, I, I want people to know I'm holy. So I dress in a particular way. I don't eat particular things. I don't drink particular things. Because I, want, because I want to be holy and I want people to know it. I don't know that everybody would admit that I want people to know it part. But I think there is a measure of that. I think there's a measure of, of self-righteousness. Because I can do these things. I made myself righteous. And that's unscriptural. There is none righteous. No, not one. Now, if on the other end of that, you exalt Christ and you are submitted and in love with him and you know that that's the only way that you're saved and there is grace for both you and others in your heart and you want to wear more conservative clothing then do so but keep Christ as the center Paul says these things doing these things not touching not handling not tasting that they have an appearance of wisdom but all they promote is a self-made religion and this asceticism and severity to the body. Uh, some have talked about this in regards to fasting. You know, you can fa- you cannot eat and not please God in it. It's about where the heart is. Why are you doing it? What's the purpose? Paul, the scripture even gives a, an example of people that would, you know, fast and not clean up and, and, and wear bad clothing so that people would know they were fasting. The scripture says, listen, that's it. All they're going to get, they've gotten all they're going to get. That's not the fast that the Lord has called us to. What, what is the fast? It, it does something that transforms our heart and causes us to care for the needy and minister to those that have circumstances in their life. That that's the, and all of that is about putting Jesus first and have him as the center of our life and recognizing his lordship. Then fasting becomes what it's supposed to be. It's not about doing the acts. It's about why you're doing them and who it is that 
is the center of your worship. Because they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. For the things of God, the things of the Spirit, absolutely put down the things of the flesh. And that's what they're intended to do. You follow God, you're going to crucify this flesh. And the closer you get to him, the more your flesh is going to be put down. And that's what we are called to do. That's what Paul is reporting. A little shorter, but good, good stuff tonight. Once again, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. I uh, hope you've had a good time in God's word. I have. Um, we'll be back here uh, Sunday morning, 8.30 and 10.30. Both services will be streamed. Uh, please keep in mind our, uh, our precautions. We ask that if you're in the building, you have a mask on. Uh, and as uh, you have noticed over the last few weeks, we have roped back off the seats. Uh, we have room for about 244 uh, in the sanctuary with the seats roped off. So uh, still plenty of room, but we ask you to practice social distancing as much as you can. Keep your masks on. If you're not comfortable doing that, we certainly respect that. We understand that. We love you, but we're taking the steps that we think are necessary. So join us online on the stream. Uh, worship, celebrate, give, do all the things that you would normally do. But we certainly understand if you feel like you have to stay home. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. We'll see you back here soon. Bye-bye.